counted a great joy and privilege to be able to minister God's word to you as the Lord's people on this very first day of January 2023. It is a wonder to me to be able to have this opportunity to speak to you as, um, as our congregation unites to, for worship on this particular Lord's Day, on the first Lord's Day of the entire year. And if you'd be willing to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, I would be honored if we could even read it together. I believe it's on a screen so that we'll have... Uh, now, I still want you to open your Bible so you can see um, the, the Scriptures for yourself. But in order for us to be able to, to read together, we all need the same translation, so that's why it's good to have the screen. So would, would you be willing to read with me in, uh, as, as our pastor has trained us now to stand when we read God's Word? If you'd be willing to stand, please. From 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I think we got to have a few more verses. Verses 6 through 9. Oh, did I only give you that much? Okay. Sorry about that. I'll read the rest of it. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Uh, please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are, uh, not, only, not only have you forgiven us our sins that we can experience in this life, but we have the confidence and assurance that we have a Father who loves us and has dealt with us in grace and in mercy throughout the entirety of our lives and is preparing a home for us uh, in your presence that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, uh, in body and soul, uh, in a new resurrection body, to, to bless your great name and to enjoy fellowship with you throughout all eternity. We do stand in awe 
of these miraculous truths and miraculous experiences. And so we pray that you would please write your word upon our hearts, that you would transform us by your word, you'd change us and shape us into the kind of person you would have us to be even now as we meditate. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. We do rejoice in this new year, giving thanks to our Creator God and the one who has preserved us by grace and is the captain of our souls who has entrusted to us um, with time, a new year of time, to serve him in this life. But we do so only in the promises of our God. And in the confidence that he goes with us into this new year, that he has gone before us and has prepared the way for whatever it is he has for us in this new year. And so we give thanks that we are not left to our own planning and hopes and dreams that Christ himself is our hope in our salvation. And so our common greeting to one another is Happy New Year. But as most of us have lived long enough to know that each year is filled with its own sorrows and heartaches, you know, who could have imagined the sorrows and heartaches that we may have experienced either individually or as a congregation and even also as a nation over this past year. We couldn't have imagined it uh, when the year started. But we don't dwell on that. We know that we have a living hope. We have a Savior who's gone before us and has prepared the way for us. And so we do face this new year with hope. It is a marvel to me to have this opportunity to minister God's word. Uh, this one more time. To the congregation as a whole. And as the sands of time are running out on, for me, that I look back and I realize that my whole life has been sustained by grace. From my conception to this, to this day. When you're healthy and well, it's easy to take for granted your life and what you can do. And, uh, and you constantly think, well, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, until you get to the point where uh, essentially I can't do anything for myself. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm totally reliant on my wife, my family, my caregivers, you, you all here that helped me so much. Um, 
that nothing in my life has ever been because I had the strength to do it without God's mercies and his kindness. And uh, so why do Christians suffer? Well, so that over time you realize that your whole life is led by grace and that what you, whatever you accomplished, it wasn't because of your own wisdom or your own strength or your own uh, intelligence or anything else. And so that's probably the short answer to the whole question, why do Christians suffer? It's so that they might realize just how dependent they are upon God sending his son into the world to die for our sins, to rise again from the dead and to give us life. In this life, to sustain our life in this life and in the next. And so really my whole life has been encompassed by about a million miracles. And I, I know that can be a debatable topic about do we believe in miracles? And, and the answer to that question is yes. Because everything is a miracle. And so in a certain sense, if everything's a miracle, then that means short of the resurrection of Jesus and our salvation, uh, nothing's really seemingly a miracle. Um, but it's uh, the reality that it's a miracle that I'm here on this first day of 2023. It's a miracle that I have this opportunity to, to minister God's word to you. And it's a miracle that I even got up this morning and was able to get here due to a lot of people helping me. And so, uh, you know, I, I maybe should have introduced this with, with, uh, with that controversial subject. But the reality is, is I've just become more and more aware that, that the Lord is just graciously provided. Now, we, we speak of it more theologically in terms of providence, that God is providentially guiding us. Um, but this passage in First Peter tells us, you know, why it is that we even dare to hope in this new year, why we even dare to hope for a future for ourselves. And if we could have First Peter 1, 3 to 5 on the screen, please. That, uh, you know, we're born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, or we, we've been born again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a hope of life. to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So we, what sustains us is that we're born again to a living hope. And it is my prayer that each of you has been born of God's Spirit. And you can't change yourself. Matter of fact, the harder you try to live a moral life, the more you'll find out that you can't. And that's a good thing. You're in greatest danger if you think you can without God's strength and power. That's a greater danger. 
And so we confess that we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. It's just impossible. That Christ um, has to live his life through us. That it is Christ in me, the hope of glory, that enables me to live the Christian life. And why is that? It's because the Bible tells us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so uh, Jesus summarized it quickly when he said in John 11, 25 and 26, to 26, um, you have that scripture, John 11, 25 to 26. I am the resurrection of life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this? That Christ is the resurrection of life, that all life comes from him. And if we trust him, even though we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we can be born in our spirit so that we have a, a new life a new life that is lived only in the power and strength of Jesus Christ and not in our own temporal human strength. And so this is why we have hope for this new year, is because he is the resurrection and the life, and he gives to us uh, another year of life to live for him. So don't waste your life by living it for yourself. And such an inheritance is imperishable, going back to 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. It's um, um, our inheritance in verse 4 is uh, incorruptible. In other words, it can't be um, destroyed. It, it doesn't tarnish or, or uh, rot away. It, uh, it is imperishable. Uh, it's incorruptible, undefiled, so it's pure. Life in Christ is pure, and it does not fade away. And our place in heaven is already reserved, like a reserved seat that you can be, rejoice that you already have. And why is it that we are confident about this new year? It's because we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be, be revealed when Christ returns. Now, that isn't to say that there isn't suffering in the Christian life. Each of you have endured suffering of one sort or another, and even most recently in this past year, that uh, each of us could recount uh, maybe a whole year of suffering. And so it's not that that uh, the Christian doesn't experience suffering. Realistically, we're going to face suffering. And the Bible even promises us. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough evil to deal with. If you add on tomorrow's evils to today's evils, it'll overwhelm you. So, so you can't do that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me. 
follow me. He's our trailblazer, and he's already gone before us, and if we stay right close to him, we'll be able to deal with whatever it is that's coming down each new day. And so we trust him. We delight in him. And so there is grief and suffering, even as First Peter uh, 1, 6 and 7 tells us, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, or I don't know, another translation is, is um, trials, uh, difficulties, suffering. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so when we face troubles, when we face difficulty, the uh, response of the Christian is to welcome it as a friend, not as an enemy. It's totally counterintuitive. We do, we, that's not the way we normally respond to things, is to say, thank you, Lord, for this suffering. You know, we, we don't, uh, it, it's against our nature to do that. But by faith in Jesus Christ, in James, we're taught, the scriptures tell us, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various temptations or trials. Count it all joy. And why is this? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses uh, 18 to 23, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation, the whole creation, waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creation and the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creature itself and the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now in childbirth. That's the image that's there, that the whole creation, and not only the creation, but we ourselves as Christians, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even when we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our body. So what, what are we longing for? What do we look for? Is we look forward to that day when Jesus Christ returns and he changes um, what Paul says in Philippians in another place. He says, these vile bodies and I like the older King James because it's much more vivid, vile bodies. And our bodies can be pretty vile. And you've probably all experienced it at some level. If you get sick to your stomach and you're sitting over the toilet, it can be pretty vile. And that can just be the beginning of sorrows. <laughs> it can become far more vile as we live longer. Uh, and, and so what is the Bible telling us? It's telling us that um, 
these are our bodies of humiliation, that God uses our bodies to humble us so that we don't think that we are all-knowing and all-powerful to be able to accomplish whatever it is we want to accomplish. That we are totally dependent upon Him and what He accomplishes in us and not what we accomplish ourselves. And so we suffer in this body. And why did suffering come into this world? Because of sin. But what's interesting here is it doesn't use the word curse, that the sufferings themselves aren't curses upon us. That the sufferings cause us to hope in him. When you have no strength, you hope in the Lord because you have no other hope excepting in him. And what's even more extraordinary about this passage is, for we know that the whole creation, that is the whole creation around us, is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. But not only the creation, but we ourselves personally, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, who are Christians, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We groan. And we can groan a lot. And what's amazing about it is, um, that the Holy Spirit prays within us, down in verse 26, I believe it is. Yeah. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, our groanings. For we, know, for we know not what we should pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So what groanings are being referred to here? And I won't make a list of it because we don't have time, but uh, the groanings he's talking about is the moaning and groaning of pain. That Christ prays for us through the Holy Spirit because you don't know what to thank God for. If you've ever had something terrible happen in your life, you can't bring yourself to say, thank you, Lord, for all this suffering. Thank you, Lord, that um, I, don't, I don't even want to make any lists because you have to fill in the blank yourself. Um, just think of the most terrible thing that's happened in your life. Can, can you really say thank you? I mean, maybe once you have some distance from it, you can. But at the time, if somebody comes up to you and you're a Christian, and says, God works all things together for good. What's your immediate response? Get out of my face, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> yes, I know that he works all things together for good, but right today, I can't thank him for whatever good's coming down the pipe. I can't do it. Have you ever been in that situation before? I just cannot thank him for this. On the other hand, do you want to think that maybe God went to sleep or something or he was busy with the Middle East or someplace else and, uh, and he forgot you? Well, no. I mean, I, I would hope that God was with me in the midst of my moaning and groaning or whatever it is that I'm dealing with. And so you're caught in a dilemma. 
And so how do you resolve that dilemma? You moan, you groan. And the Holy Spirit prays for us even when we have no idea what we should pray for ourselves. And so Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and he prays for us 24 seven so that we always know that he is interceding for us no matter what our circumstance. No, it's been a shock to me. I mean, I've known Psalm 23 all, all my life, but I quote it daily. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. If you're with me and I'm a Christian and I believe this, why am I so frightened? Why am I bothering my family with my yelling? Because I think I'm going to fall. Why am I so fearful? I ask myself that question almost daily because I'm, I'm fearful every day. You know, every transition from this chair to somewhere else is frightening to me, very, very deathly frightening. I know it's deathly is too, too strong a word, but it's, it's really scary. And I, I just say, why? Why do I think that? Why do I feel that way? Well, the Bible tells us that our inner man is being renewed through our suffering. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, for which cause we faint not, though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And I give testimony to that. My inner person's being renewed day by day in spite of my moaning and groaning. For our light affliction, I guess in light of eternity, it's light affliction, but at the moment it doesn't feel so light, which is but for a moment works for us in a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not on the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so we give thanks. And so what does First Peter 1, 7 tell us? Is that our suffering tests our faith. Do we really believe the things that we say we believe? And a watching world is seeing, is watching to see if we as Christians will be able to endure suffering. And so Pastor Sean was praying about the the uh, persecuted church. And I wonder how in the world did people make it through the things that they endure? Well, it's because you look at the things that are not seen. You don't look at the person who's ready to cut your head off. You look at what's not seen. And so it gives us confidence. And so we can say, you know, say with regard to physical suffering, and it's in, it's in faithfulness. I can say that this is true. In faithfulness, God has afflicted me. And so thank you, Lord, for, for whatever my afflictions are, as light as they really are. So not seeing Christ, we love him. We see Christ in the midst of our suffering. And we love him through the suffering. And so he becomes increasingly a familiar face. No, we don't see him, but we see his hand. And you need to see his hand every single day in your life because otherwise, how do you really know that when you die that the Lord, that the Savior will come and take you into his glory? 
Well, because I experience it every day. I've seen his hand delivering me every day. I see his mercies upon me every single day, doing, uh, as I said, a million little miracles every day, otherwise known as providence. And so when we learn to trust him, then he's a familiar face. And so when we see him, we will know exactly who he is. And we look forward to that day that we will see him. So, you know, we love him, not in order to manip manipulate him, but he gives us both pain and pleasure, and we're confident that he enables us to, uh, to survive. And so we do rejoice in our Savior every single day, and suffering gives us that opportunity. That's why Christians suffer. But in order to answer the question, we also have to answer the question of, of why did Christ suffer so much? He was known as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And in the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told his disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, if you have that scripture, Luke 24, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And you look at the crucifixion of Jesus as the most brutal, brutal um, abuse anybody could ever experience. It's, you read the story in each gospel. It's the most brutal abuse. You know, abuse is a big topic of concern in our culture, and rightly so. It ought to be. But why was Christ so abused? He didn't do anything to offend anyone. He only showed compassion and love. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, that he would suffer. It's all over the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 53 is probably best known because um, Jesus was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He didn't suffer for himself. He suffered for your sake and mine. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And so we see it right there that suffering has a healing upon our souls, even as Christ's suffering brought healing to your life and to mine. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so we do rejoice that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered in Hebrews 5, 7, and 9. He, he learned, that how, if Jesus was perfect, how could he learn anything? Well, in a human body, he had to learn the anguish of suffering, that the Father would comfort him so that he would be able to comfort us in every circumstance. And so Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered, who in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. 
Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And so Jesus had to learn through suffering. The eternal Son of God learned through suffering. How dare we think that we can go through our lives and not have to suffer or something. We don't know what the new year brings, what joys there may be, and what pleasures, but also what pain and suffering. But we know not how God works his wonderful salvation into our lives, but we know whom we believe it, and he is able to keep that for which um, we have committed unto him against that day. Um, well, we're going to sing uh, day by day and with each passing moment. Uh, I'm not going to read the words. They're, I think, in the bulletin. But, uh, well, let me just read the first line. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment of no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. And, and then, uh, you know, the song we sang earlier in the service, Jesus, I am resting, resting. I am finding out the joys of thy loving heart. And uh, please pray with me. Father, thank you so much that you have called us to be a part of your family, that you have called us to Christ, who is our comforter. And I pray that he would be the comforter of each and every one here and every, each and every one you know, watching this service, and that uh, you keep it until the day we see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.